0: Revelation chapter 21, let's begin at verse one and let's read the word of the Lord together. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. Thank you, Lord, for your presence that we've sensed as we've worshipped you today. Thank you for touching your people already. And now I ask that you will open our hearts as we share together in the preaching of your word that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters, that you will draw them back to a place of right relationship with you. Don't let one of them be lost, I ask. I pray all of these things today. In the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last several weeks, I've been talking to you about what the Bible has to say about the end of this age. Some of the messages have inspired hope as we've looked at some of the promises. Some of the messages have been pretty sobering, as we've seen some of the terrible things that are coming to this earth as the time of the end draws near. Today, I want to talk about the final destination for those who faithfully serve the Lord. What I want you to see is that the end is, in reality, a new beginning, Today I want to talk to you about the final destination for those who are followers of Jesus. Anybody a follower of Jesus today? Well, I want to talk to you about where you're going. Since we're planning on moving there someday, and since we're planning on being there for a very long time, I'd like to tell you a little about your new home. I've discovered there are a lot of misconceptions about this place we call heaven. This heaven that is promised to followers of Jesus isn't some ethereal place far up in the starry sky. We're not going to be cherubs floating around on fluffy white clouds, strumming on harps, singing zephyr-like songs. This place isn't some altered state of consciousness It isn't some fantasy world or never-never land. The heaven that the Bible describes is a very real place. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10, the writer says that Abraham was a man of faith and that he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Now, while on this earth, Abraham lived in tents as a pilgrim, a sojourner, a a nomad. But he was looking for the promise that had been made to him by God, the promise of a city, a definite place of inheritance. Do you remember the scene in the Gospel of John, chapter 14? Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he's just been telling them about how he was going to be betrayed and he was going to leave them. Well, you can imagine how this upset the disciples. But in the midst of their anxiety and despair, it's almost as if the Lord walks around the room, laying his hands on the shoulder of each of them as they are reclined at table, and he says to every one of them, and he says to us, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, you know, in, in the old King James says, in my father's house are many mansions. And so, you know, you've probably heard the old Irish stamp hill. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Well, that's very romanticized and fanciful, but we don't have mansions. Everybody is, all, you know, because we've all been thinking, well, I get to design my mansion and what it's going to look No, no, but we have a place in the father's house. And I want to tell you today, heaven isn't a figment of the imagination. Heaven isn't smoke and mirrors. Heaven is a place, a very real, very tangible place. It's our blessed hope. It's our desired end. It's our final destination. It's our ultimate reward. So I want to look at some of what the Bible has to say about this place that will be a new beginning that occurs after the end. First of all, I want you to see it as a see it that it is planned as a new creation. In verse 1 and 2 of our text, the beloved elder John writes, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, watch this, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. When John writes about the first heaven, he's talking about the sky above us that we can see when we walk outside and look up. You know, the place of the sun and the moon and the stars and the planets of our solar system. That's all called the heavens. That's the atmospheric heaven and the stellar heaven. But that isn't the heaven, that's the dwelling place of God. According to the testimony of Scripture, this present earth and this heaven with which we are familiar, they are all going to pass away. It isn't, going, it isn't so much that they're going to be replaced, but rather they're going to be restored. That's the meaning of 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens, watch this, the heavens will be destroyed By burning, and the elements will melt away with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. At the end of the age, God is going to take this present world that we know and is going to melt it down. Then he's going to refashion and reshape and remold and give it an extreme makeover. He's going to restore this world to the original original design specifications of the manufacturer he's going to make it all new again the word that describes I, I love this the word that describes the newness of this heaven and earth is a term that designates something new in kind it isn't just a new thing of the same kind it's a new kind of thing it's a newness unlike anything that has ever been known that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, when he quotes the prophet Isaiah and says, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. It's planned as a new creation. And then we find that it's provided with a new capital. John writes in verse 2 of the text, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. See, the capital of this new city isn't going to be Washington, or London, or Paris, or Moscow, or Tokyo, or Berlin. The capital is going to be the new Jerusalem. And what an incredible place that's going to be. According to chapter 21, verse 16, "...the city is a cube. Its length, its width, and its height are of equal measure." 1500 miles long 1500 miles wide 1500 miles high what's interesting about the description of the city as a cube is when you look into into chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews, you find that the Old Testament tabernacle that was built by Moses in the wilderness was a shadow and a copy of that true tabernacle in the heavens. In that Old Testament tabernacle, there was a special area set aside that was called the most holy place or the holy of holies the ark of the covenant that represented the presence of god to the people was contained in this room of the tabernacle in that old testament tabernacle room it was when it describes it in the scripture it describes it as a perfect cube its length width and height were all the same now here in book in the revelation chapter 21 we're told that the new jerusalem comes down from god it is the place where god will dwell or here's the word tabernacle with men. It's the place of his divine presence and glory for all of eternity. And the dimensions of this city are a cube, just like the Holy of Holies, only on a much larger and grander scale. Just as the glory of God was manifested on a small scale in the wilderness Holy of Holies, so the full manifestation of the glory of God will be evident in the new Jerusalem that comes to a restored heaven and earth. Unless you think there's not going to be enough room in that city for everybody to live, remember the city is a cube that is 1,500 miles high, wide, and long. (coughs) 1,500 miles would stretch from Canada to Florida. It would reach from New York to Colorado. Somebody has calculated that it would be big enough to hold over 40 billion people. I think we're going to have enough space. This new Jerusalem is going to be marked by the presence of God. Verse 3 says, God himself will be among them. See, God has already given his son. God has already given his spirit. Now God is going to give us himself. It's going to be a restoration of that scene in the garden where God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. At the same time, this new Jerusalem is going to be marked by the absence of grief. Verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Now, there are people in this sanctuary, and you know all too well what it's like to mourn and to cry and to grieve. I'm preaching to people right now who have stood around the bedside as a loved one exhaled their final breath. Some of you have said goodbye to loved ones after a long protracted illness, and others have known the shock as death suddenly and unexpectedly snatched away your loved one into eternity. You understand what it means to have something you want to share, and you start for the phone only to remember, ah, you can't call that one because your loved one isn't there anymore. I want to tell you, I've preached too many funerals for loved ones of people in this congregation. I preached one just this week for a dear brother who is part of this church. But the good news I bring today is that there is coming a day when there will be no more grief. There is a... There is coming a day when death will be a thing of the past. See, death is linked with sin. And there is coming a day when sin will be off limits out of bounds, a thing unknown in a place called heaven because there is no sin, there is no death. There is coming a day where there will be no more hospitals. There won't be any more funerals. There won't be any more graves. There is coming a day when there won't be any more broken homes. There won't be any more broken hearts. There won't be any more broken hopes. There is coming a grand reunion day when we will be reunited with loved ones who have gone before Oh, won't it be wonderful there? No more crying, no more sighing, no more dying. Doesn't that sound like a place you'd like to go? I'm telling you, it's gonna be a splendid place to live. The writer tries to capture the splendor of that place with the most colorful, spectacular word picture he can conjure, walls of jasper, Streets of pure translucent gold, massive gates, each one a single pearl, crystal sea. You know, I've been privileged to see some pretty incredible sights in this present world. And Even though this is is a world that has been scarred and marred by the effects of sin, there is some amazing beauty in the natural world around us today. Don't you agree with that? Well, just imagine what it will be like when God makes all things new. New heaven, new earth, new city. New, unlike anything that has ever been seen or experienced before. God is going to lavish on that new world all of his creative genius. It's going to be a splendid place to live. Not only that, but it's going to be a satisfying place to live. John writes in verse 6, then he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end i will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost now when he talks about giving the from the spring of the water of life he isn't talking about sitting around a spring and you know dipping your cup in and drinking all day long instead think about the greatest longing of your soul what is it that is your deepest desire That which you long for, that which you thirst for, it's going to be satisfied. Think of the contrast between this place and the place of torment known as hell. Hell is a place of unsatisfied desire. In the Gospel of Luke, that I'm probably going to talk about next Sunday, Jesus talked to the rich man who died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment and begged for a drop of water to cool his tongue. The contrast couldn't be any clearer. Here in the New Jerusalem, the deepest longing is satisfied. The thirsts you have will be satisfied. It's going to be a splendid place. It's going to be a satisfying place. And then it's going to be a significant place to live. Verse 7 says, he who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. When you look at the beginning in, in Genesis, you discover in that book a lot of Loss. If you you pay attention, especially in those first three chapters of Genesis, there's a lot of loss going on. There's a lost relationship. There's lost innocence. There's a lost blessing. There's a lost dominion. There's a lost inheritance. Ah, but in the new Jerusalem, everything that was lost in the beginning is going to be restored. Through Adam in Genesis, we lost our dominion, but through Christ in the new Jerusalem, we inherit all things. Everything that had its beginning in Genesis finds its completion at the end of the book in the new Jerusalem. In this celestial city, we're going to have responsibility. It's going to be meaningful and significant service in which we'll be engaged. I told you earlier, we're not going to spend our time floating around on fluffy white clouds, twanging on harps, singing Zephyr-like songs, and being bored out of our minds. Instead, in that new Jerusalem, it's going to be a time of singing and fellowship. We're going to be reunited with loved ones gone before. See, we'll recognize one another and we'll know the relationship we had on this earth because 1 Corinthians 13:12 says that we will know even as we are known now assuming you make it and assuming i make it when we get there you'll know that i was your pastor we will know each other as we have been known we're going to have fellowship with the saints of the ages. We're going to meet and spend time with the great heroes of the faith. And, and and we won't have to hurry our conversation because we will have all of eternity to spend. Think about that. You know, I don't know how it is with you. There's some people I get around and, and it's like, I just want to stay here for a while. I, I, I want to enjoy their company. I want to enjoy their presence. Oh, but... but life presses in on us and we have to go and take care of business here and take and we have to cut it short anybody ever had that experience you won't have to do that then you'll be able to just explore and have conversation to your heart's content and then move on to the next person and do the same thing over and over because you will have an eternity in which to do that the bible says we're going to sing a new song A song of redemption that even the angels can't join in and sing with us because they really don't know what it means to be redeemed from sin. The Bible says we're going to sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, i got to tell you, I'm not exactly sure what the words are to the song of the Lamb, but I figure they'll teach me. Maybe they'll have a giant screen where they'll put the words up. I don't know, but I do know it's going to be a song of worship and a song of praise and a song of victory. In addition to singing and fellowship, it's going to be a time of service. It won't be servitude like we understand it today, but we're going to be involved in serving the Lord Jesus, and it will be service and joy. It will be an opportunity to share with the lover of your soul. It will also be a time of learning in that new Jerusalem. In his, think about this. In his presence throughout all eternity, there will be unfolding all of the things of God. All the infinite wisdom of God will be unfolding before us. Things too wondrous for us to understand now. We will be able to grasp them in the New Jerusalem, be in our glorified bodies with our glorified minds. We'll be able to understand things that we can't even begin to comprehend right now. There are a lot of things that I've, I read and, and I, I see and I'm like, I have no clue what that's talking about. But there, I'm going to be able to understand it comprehension will come, I'll be able to understand. It will be a time of ruling and reigning with him. See, just because there's a new heaven and a new earth, just because there's triumph over the devil, just because we're rejoicing in heaven, that doesn't mean God stops the whole thing, but we're going to have authority, and we're going to rule over this new creation. God will still be infinitely creative, and whatever he does, we will be ruling and reigning with him. And then we find that it's a time of triumph. It's a time of working with Him. It's a time of realizing our full potential in Him. You know, they tell me that we only use a fraction of the potential that we actually have, even in our brains. But there, the full potential will be explored. We're going to inherit all things, and we're going to administrate that inheritance for the glory of our Lord. It's going to be a splendid place. It's going to be a satisfying place to live. It's going to be a significant place to live. And then I want you to know it's going to be a safe place to live. The writer tells us in, verse 20, or in chapter 21, verse 8, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then he writes in verse 27, And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This city is described as having walls, but when you examine it a little closer, you find that walls are not for security, because the gates to the city are always going to be open. The walls aren't for security, they are for memorials. The gates have the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel engraved on them. The city has 12 foundation stones with the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb inscribed on them. There isn't any need for a security team because there is no sin. There is no hatred. There is no rebellion. There is no evil or wickedness. There is no need for protection for there is nothing from which to be protected. You know, Think about it. You can't even walk the streets of your neighborhood at night and feel safe right now. But in that city, we're not going to need a police force or a judicial system or prison or locks or bars or alarms. It's a safe place for all eternity. This new beginning I'm telling you about today is planned as a new creation, it's provided with a new capital. Finally, I want to tell you it's populated by new creatures. This place is prepared for the saved. It's prepared for the followers of Jesus. It's prepared for the faithful. It's prepared for the redeemed. It's populated by overcomers. Don't don't you want to go there? Don't don't you want to go there? So, I bring the message to a close, I want to remind you, whenever you see the trouble around you that I've described in the messages in this series whenever you see conflicts between nations, whenever you see the natural disasters and the adversities you sometimes face, you need to remember where it's all headed. We're headed for a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. If you came to this service today looking for some good news, there it is. That, that's good news, especially when you consider the alternative Given a choice, I'll choose this kind of happy ever after ending. The good news today is you do have a choice. You can secure your reservation for a place in that city. You can guarantee your place in this new Jerusalem simply by trusting in Jesus as your Savior, surrendering your life to Him, and serving Him as your Lord. What comes out loud and clear when you read this part of the Bible is that not only is God interested in restoring this planet, not only is he interested in restoring the heavens and the earth, not only is he interested in restoring the blessings and the goodness and the holiness and the joy and the peace and the righteousness, all of all that was part of the original design, but God is interested in restoring you. Yes. Right this very minute, God is at work. He's bringing you to wholeness and completeness. And the promise he makes to you today is that he is going to keep working. He's going to keep shaping. He's going to keep perfecting, keep healing, keep helping. He's going to keep on all the way until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that what Paul wrote to the Philippians? He said, but I'm confident of this very thing, That he who began a good work in you will complete it or bring it to perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. When the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem are a completed part of God's restoration project. Then you will be made perfectly whole and complete and restored as well is what God has in mind for you. He has your well-being in mind. He has your wholeness in mind. One thing is certain. This world is heading for a time of terrible trouble. The signs of the season are telling us that we are on the verge of the beginning of the end. But even in this, always remember, please always remember, the final word belongs to God. And He is going to see to it that the trouble is temporary and it's followed by a time of eternal bliss and rejoicing. Hmm. So, the question I have is this Do you have the assurance? that you will be enjoying the blessings of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem? Have you made things right between you and God? Have you made your reservation? This isn't fantasy. This is reality. The way you get to enjoy this place of eternal rest is by the decision you make about Jesus while you are alive on this earth. You don't get there because you're a pretty good person. You don't get there because you're better than that sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing neighbor. You don't get there because you're better than that aggravating boss. No, you get there because Jesus has already paid the price. And you just believe that. And you accept it for yourself. You receive Jesus. You surrender your life to him. You be assured of eternal salvation in the presence of God. Reject Jesus, and be assured of eternal separation, cut off from the presence of God. What gains you entrance into that eternal city? Isn't your good character? It isn't your honesty. It isn't your charity. It isn't your religion. It isn't your good deeds and your church membership thing that gains you entrance into the eternal city is the surrender of your life to the lordship of jesus christ so i ask you have you placed your trust in his completed work at calvary's cross as the payment for your sin debt are you living your life in obedience to his will and his word once more as i've done throughout this series i'm going to ask you to bow with me for a moment and i'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer everyone please almighty god I know that you love me and I know you want to save me. Jesus, you died to save me and you promised to save me if I would trust you. I do trust you right now. I ask you to forgive my sin, cleanse my heart, come into my life. I've been walking away from you. I've been ignoring your plan for my life. But today I surrender to you. Instead of walking away from you, I turn toward you. I cannot save myself. Save me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the promise of your word that if I will ask, you will hear. And you will do it. So I do now confess Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. Now give me the courage to confess you openly and publicly. I will not be ashamed of you because I do not want you to be ashamed of me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to remind you once more that saying those words and praying that prayer is not what saves you. That prayer is nothing more than a tool to help express a desire of the heart. Salvation comes because you decide it in your mind and you mean it in your heart. You surrender your life to Jesus and you follow his way rather than your own. If you have truly done that, either for the first time or or for the 50th time, I want to help you get started in your walk with Jesus. In the little pocket of the seat there in front of you, there's a blue card. If you prayed and surrendered your life to Jesus, I'd like to ask you to take one of those cards and fill in the information. On your way out, stop and take that to the information desk. If you'll give it to the person at the desk, I have a book I want to give you that will walk you through the next steps you need to take in your new journey with Jesus. Thank you for being here today. Stand together with me, please.